Christ Fellowship. Hey, don't you love that we're going to be able to sing our praises to our Heavenly Father forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen? Come on, let's give a shout of praise to God right now. Amen. Hey, well, CF, great to have you here. My name is Omar, and uh, I have the honor and privilege of serving as a lead pastor here at Christ Fellowship. And I want to welcome all, everyone right now at our local campuses, online, but especially, I want to welcome our fathers. In fact, let's give it up for our dads today. Hey, happy Father's Day. Whether you are a father, a grandfather, a father figure, listen, I hope that God bestows upon you wisdom and grace in order to lead your families well. And know that we love you and support you here at Christ Fellowship. And I also want to wish a happy Father's Day to my own dad who lives in the other side of the world in a little island called Cyprus in the middle of the Mediterranean. But dad, if you're watching, hey, I love you. Happy Father's Day. And we miss you. Well, today is not only a special weekend for us because it's Father's Day weekend, but also we are starting our summer series called Living the Good Life. And so in this series, we're going to be learning a little bit of some of the components of what it means to truly live the life that God offers us. And so I am ready and excited to dive into God's Word. I hope you are too. And so wherever you find yourself, let's open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 9 verse 2 and 3, and you can follow along with me as I read. Listen to what God's Word says. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was what? Transfigured. Transfigured before them. And then it says in John, Chapter 10 says, I came, Jesus said, I came that they may have, what, life and have it, what, abundantly, amen. In other words, Jesus came to this earth, he revealed himself to us in order so that we can finally live life and experience the good life that he envisions for us, amen, family? Then that is God's word. You can go ahead and take a seat at all campuses. You know, every week, me and my wife, we always tried to have a date night. And before Camila was born, you know, we had all the flexibility in the world. And so we used to go out on Friday nights, go to some restaurant, and then just enjoy ourselves. But ever since she came along, since I became a dad, you know how it is. Flexibility went out the window. And so, you know, we still go out here and there, but for the most part, our date nights are at home on Friday nights. And so here's what we do. We put her down to bed right at 8 o'clock, and then I get in my car and I go to our favorite pizza place, get us a burrata pizza with some prosciutto, some arugula, just the way we like it. Then I go to our favorite ice cream shop, get us a pint of Nutella ice cream with some brownies in there, oh yeah, and then I bring it back home, we sit in front of the TV, and we just eat and just catch up on all the shows that we missed throughout the week. And one of the shows that we watch every single Friday night is this one, My Lottery Dream Home. In fact, how many of you have seen this show by show of hands? Yeah, yeah, I, I see those hands out there. Well, if you have not seen this show, let me just give you a quick overview of what takes place in every episode. Because every episode centers around a family 
who's not living the good life. In fact, there's some sort of struggle, financial, circumstantial, family issue. And so they're not really living the good life. They're living the bad life. And from one day to the next, they win the lottery. They get this huge windfall of money. And now they are in pursuit of that good life. And so they call David Bromstad, who is the host of the show. And now David is going to help them find that dream home so that they can finally live that good life that they are searching for. In fact, take a look. It's only five and a half million, right? It's no big deal. But folks, here's what happens. When many people watch that, this show, and maybe that happened to you right now, as you're watching that show, you think to yourself, they're going to live that good life. And they're going to now be able to live that good life because they're going to buy that home that they've always dreamed of. They're going to be able to buy that car that they always wanted. They're going to go on that vacation, that beautiful vacation. They're going to buy all that clothes, all those purses, all that stuff, right? They're going to be able to experience the good life that this world has to offer us. But folks, here's what's interesting. Studies show that people who win the lottery, who have the huge windfall of money, are more likely to file bankruptcy within three to five years than the average American. And not only that, study shows that the, that the people who are pursuing the good life with all this money are not happier or healthier than the average American. Oftentimes, they are unhappier and unhealthier than the average American. And folks, you've kind of have under, understand why. Because it's happened to you and me, you know, oftentimes we have splurged on a restaurant or we have splurged on a vacation or a car or whatever the case may be. And sure, after you've experienced it, you say, you know what? It was good. It was good. That was all right. But it always kind of tends to fall short, right, of what you envisioned. And folks, here's why, don't miss this. It's because a good life that the world offers us, listen, over, always over promises, but always under delivers, doesn't it? It always promises all these feelings and all these things, but when you actually get it, when you actually experience it, it just always tends to fall short. And folks, let me just bring all that over to our time together because what a contrast to, to the life that our Lord offers us, amen? And by that I mean, listen, that just like, unlike, by the way, unlike the good life that the world offers us that always tends to fall short, unlike that, and here's the big idea as we dive into God's word, the good life that Jesus offers you and Jesus offers me, listen, 
never falls short, but always, always, always exceeds our wildest expectations. You know, when you're able to experience that life, you get to experience things you've never experienced before. You get to experience this inner peace that the world can never take. You get to experience a joy that even through the hardest moments in life, you have a sense of joy in your heart. You know, you have, you're able to experience forgiveness of sin. You're able to experience all these things with the Lord that otherwise you couldn't. And so his life for us always exceeds our wildest expectations. But who knows, maybe you're watching out, out there right now, you're tracking with me, you're saying, Omar, I'm, I'm following you. But the truth is, I've come to church, I'm sitting here at church right now, I'm watching online. You know, and I come as much as I can, I, I read the Bible throughout the week, and you know, I experience some good things, but I, I feel like I'm not experiencing the full abundant life, that good life that Jesus wants for me. And so Omar, how can I live this life? Because the reality is, I don't feel like I'm fully experiencing it. So what do I need to know in order to experience it? Well, we're going to find out not only in this series, but today from the, from the Gospel of Mark chapter 9, all right? So if you have your Bibles at all campuses, go ahead and turn them over right now to Mark chapter 9. You can fire up your Christ Fellowship apps and follow there along with us. And today I have two thoughts for us on how we can experience the good life that Jesus has for us. So write this down as point number one. First of all, in order to live that good life, listen carefully, you must have a clear view of who Jesus is, a clear view. Now, let's go to the passage for today. Listen to what it says. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves and he was what, church family? Transfigured. Transfigured before them. Now, pause right there for just a moment. Let me set up the scene for us. Because as we start winding down the gospel of Mark, as we start heading towards a cross, reach a moment where it's the passage for today is of utmost importance. You see, the, the chapter before, right before this, Peter had just confessed Christ as the true Messiah. And so once he makes this confession, Jesus looks at him and all the disciples and tells him, listen, that he is going to suffer many things, he's going to eventually be crucified, and that he will eventually resurrect to new life. And church, the moment that they heard this, this was hard for them to, to process. Why? Because it didn't fit with the good life that they were envisioning. See, the truth of the matter was that suffering was coming, and not only for Christ, but also for them. And so in order to prepare them for the life that was ahead of them, the Lord does something very rare in this passage. In fact, it's the only time that he does this in the New Testament. And this is what he does. He takes their, listen carefully, their faith, and it takes them to sight. He, he takes their faith, to sight. And for the first moment, he allows them to see a little bit of who he truly, uh, really is. And he does that by changing his appearance. Now, if you have your Bibles or your apps, just circle the word or mark the word transfigured. Because the word transfigured there in the original Greek text, you know, here at Christ Fellowship, we always like to remind you 
the Bible was first written in Greek and Hebrew and then translated into many different languages. Well, the original word here in the text is this compound Greek word called metamorpho, which is the word where we get the word metamorphosis in the English. Now, the two components of this word, first of all, is meta. And the word meta means to change. And now the word morpho, it simply refers to the outer, to the form, to the appearance, to the outer form of something. And so what this passage is showing us is that our Lord literally changed his exterior. In fact, the Gospel of John says that this happened as he was praying. So as he's praying on these high mountains with Peter, James, and John, as he's praying at that moment, his whole body begins to transform. And if his body's transforming, listen, it happens for two reasons. There, there's, there's, there's two specific things that he's doing as he's transforming. In fact, write this down, first of all, as letter A. He does so to reveal his eternal glory. In fact, listen to what it says in the passage. It says, and his clothes became what? Radiant. Radiant, right? Radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And then in the Gospel of Matthew, another account that talks about this, 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 this um, point says this. And he was transfigured, right? He was metamorpho before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And so... Think about what's happening here. As the disciples are there and they're watching him, he's praying. He transforms himself. And folks, his face starts shining like the sun. You know, you've been outside when you try to look at the sun and it's just so intense that you really can't look right at it. You have to look sort of to the side. Folks, that's just the same way that happened. Jesus transforms his body and there's this radiant light just, just coming forth from the Lord. Now, You have to remember, these disciples knew the Old Testament well. In fact, they grew up learning the Hebrew scriptures, right, in their their Hebrew school. And so they remember that in the Old Testament, one of the ways that God would reveal himself is through radiant light, which is sometimes what we call the Shekinah glory of God. And so when the disciples saw the radiance, the light, almost like the sun coming from, from Jesus, they knew at that moment, that this was no ordinary man. This was no ordinary Messiah. This had to be the incarnate God of the Old Testament standing before them. And so in order to confirm what they're seeing, what they're thinking, listen to what it says next. It says, and there appeared to them, who? Elijah with Moses. And they were there talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi or teacher, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And so church, you got to love Peter, right? Because, you know, he's just so overwhelmed with fear that he just starts spewing something out. He says like, hey, you know what? Let's, let's build some tents. I, I, I know how to build some tents. We'll, we'll stay here as long as we can. But the truth of the matter is that the passage says that he was just so terrified, he didn't even know what was coming out of his mouth. 
But listen, the appearance of Elijah and Moses were very important. And here's why. It's because Elijah represented all of the Old Testament prophets who prophesied of the coming Messiah, of, of Jesus. And then Moses represented the Old Testament law, which in the, in the law, there was, it was ingrained, right, a foreshadowing of who Jesus would be. And so the Lord, the Father, kind of allows Moses and Elijah to be next to his son in order to confirm to the disciples and to us, listen, that this is the promised Messiah that humanity was waiting for. Folks, here's why it's so important for these three men to have seen that themselves. Because just a few years later, Peter, who didn't know what to say, Listen, that man would one day be beaten and would be crucified upside down. And folks, as he is hanging upside down, he needed to have a clear view of who he was dying for. You know, James, who was there early in the church, he was beheaded. And so as he would see that sword come down upon him, it was important for him to know who he was trusting. Amen. You know, John, we all know from history that as he was being lowered into hot oil and he could hear and smell his flesh begin to burn, listen, he needed to be sure that he knew who Jesus was. And family, listen, just like it was important for them to know exactly who Jesus was, have a clear view of who he was, Can I tell you, it's important for you and I to have a clear view of who Jesus is. Because the truth of the matter is that many of us here today, listen, most likely we are all, a lot of us are going through a hard situation in life. Some of us may be having financial issues. Some of us may be having marital problems. You might have gotten into a fight with your spouse before coming. You may be having issues with your children, things with your health. Something's going on in your life. You know, oftentimes we come to church and we put our weekend Sunday face on, right? Like everything's all right. Like things are just fun. But the truth of the matter is that there are things going in our lives, hard things in our life. And listen carefully. The way that we can endure as the people of God and stay trusting the Lord during those hard times is when we have a clear view of who Jesus is. Yeah, because the clear view we have, the more accurate view we have of who Jesus is, the creator of the universe, the sovereign God, the clearer view we have of him, listen, the more we will be able to endure in our faith. And so church family is of utmost importance that we have a clear view of who the Lord is. And so not only was was the transfiguration meant to reveal the eternal glory of Jesus, But there's something else that's happening here that we may not realize. In fact, write this down as letter B. Jesus was also revealing our future glory. Our future glory. In fact, listen to what God's word says about the transformation that our bodies will experience at one point. Listen to what it says in the book of Philippians. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We are waiting for the second coming of Christ. And then notice carefully what it says. 
who will transform our what? Lowly bodies to be like his what? Glorious body. You see, he's going to transform our lowly bodies to our glory, to hit like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You know, if you were here last week, I share with you that when Jesus comes back in the second coming and the trumpet is sound, at that moment, we know from Scripture that those of us who have passed away, who have put our faith in Christ, the Bible says that at the second coming of Christ, our bodies, listen, our dead bodies will resurrect and it will be a glorified body. Amen. And for those of us who are still here, the moment that we see Jesus, listen, our bodies are going to transform from lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And folks, he's going to do that with the power that enables for him to bring all things to himself. See, this is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, he says, the righteous, listen, the righteous will shine like the what? Sun. Like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Notice the description is the exact same description in the transfiguration. And so what Peter, James, and John were seeing was not only the glory, the glorified body of Christ, but he, they were also seeing the glory that awaited for them as well. You know, it's interesting that John, later on towards the end of his life, he, he wrote this. He said, beloved, by the way, don't you love when Scripture says beloved? Then you are loved by God. Beloved. We are God's children now. Listen, when you came to faith in Christ, the Bible says that he adopted you as his son and daughter. Right now, each of us who put our faith in Christ, listen, we are the children of God. Amen. But notice, and what we will be, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, right, when his second coming we shall be what? Like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And can I tell you, listen, that should bring tremendous peace for us today. Amen? Tremendous peace. Because on the day that he returns, listen, there's going to be, our bodies will never experience any illness ever again. We will never again suffer from cancer. We will never have heart issues. We will never have strokes. We will never have aches and pain. And folks, we will never have disabilities. And folks, when I started really thinking about this, as I was preparing this teaching and just processing, I realized the power of this promise. When I think of someone like Roque Cespedes, you know, Roque right here, he is someone who's been in our church for a long time. In fact, you may not know this, but I launched the Miami Springs campus long ago, and I eventually became the Doral campus. And from that moment, Roque has been part of our church family. And every weekend he comes with his, with his mom, Marisol, and uh, just, but just such beautiful people. We, we all love them. He is a favorite there at Doral. Everyone loves Roque. And uh, you, you probably realize that he has cerebral palsy, and so it makes it very hard for him to speak and to move. But church family, let me tell you something. This man right here, this man loves the Lord. 
Listen, he loves the Lord so much. In fact, he knows more scripture than most people. You know, back in the day when I used to lead a young adults group, I had, we used to gather together, about 40 or 50 of us would come together, we get in a big circle, and I would just teach God's word every week. And so Roque, listen, he has a teaching gift. He knows scripture better than most. And so he said, you know, Omar, I, want to, I would like to, to teach one day. So here's what we did. I told him, okay, Roque, here's what we're going to do. I want you to write down, you can prepare a lesson, and I'll share it for you. So family, he went ahead and he wrote, as slowly but surely, he wrote out an entire teaching, pages upon pages upon pages. I sat down, he sat down right next to me. And I read his teaching, and when people were asking questions, I would ask Roque, he would answer, I would communicate it. And folks, I tell you, people loved his teaching way more than they loved my teaching. Oh yeah, I'm telling you, everyone loves Roque. And you know, there are times that when I think of him, I think, man, I wish I could just have normal conversations with him. I wish I could just walk and just do kind of just more of the normal things of life. And you know what I realized? that one day I will be able to do that? Because in the kingdom of God, listen, Roque will have, just like me, a glorified body. And we're gonna talk about the truth of God. We're gonna be talking, you know, explore everything that God has to offer us. And so here's what I would say, this is powerful for us. Because if you in your life right now, if you have someone who's struggling with an illness, if you have someone in your life that has cancer, if you have someone that's, that has a disability, maybe a grandparent, and you help them and you're honoring them and you're doing what you can, listen carefully. For those of us who are children of God, there is a glorified body waiting for us. Amen? Amen. There is a body that we will have, and sometimes we can get so caught up on this life and think this is all there is, but remember, this is a short little while. One day. We will all have, when we see him coming, we will all have glorified bodies, and it won't be for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. It will be for eternity. Amen? Amen. And folks, that is the hope of the second coming of Christ. We will have bodies like never before. And so going back to the transfiguration, listen, Jesus didn't reveal himself for no reason, but there should be an effect in our life. In fact, write this down as big number two. Clearly seeing Jesus should clearly change us. Amen. In fact, listen to what God's word says in 2 Corinthians. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, seeing who Jesus is, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, if you have truly beheld who Christ is, listen, there should be a clear, decisive change in your life. So the question that I have for you today is this. Ever since you came to know Christ, ever since you started walking with the Lord, has there been a clear, decisive change in your life? Ask yourself that. You know, when people look, your old buddy from school, from high school, when they see your life, do they see a change? Do your friends from school, when they saw you starting to come to church and started to follow the Lord, has there been a change in the way you carry yourself, in the way you speak? Listen, in your family, in your own family, who's seen you grow up, when they look at your life, is there a clear, decisive change by the way that you talk to people? 
the way you care yourself, the way you forgive, the way that you honor? Is there a decisive change in our lives? Because listen, some of us may claim that we have truly seen Christ and put our faith in him, but our lives does not deflect it. You may say it, but our lives deny it. Because here's what happens. Once you have truly have a clear view of who Jesus is, here is what should first happen. Write this down as letter A. The first thing that happens is that we begin to listen to Jesus. We begin to listen to Jesus. Now, let's go back to the transfiguration because look at what happens next. It says, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. And what's the next word? Listen. Oh, you can do a little better than that. Listen. Listen. Listen to him. And then it says, and suddenly, looking around, they were no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. So here is really the, the driving point of this passage, is that when God the Father reveals the Son to us, he expects you to listen. To listen to the Lord. Now folks, listen. Listening is different than hearing. You know, hearing is that audible, is ability to hear audible sound. But listening, on the other hand, is when you carefully process and take in all the information given and think through what's being communicated. You know, right now, at our campuses and online, Everyone is hearing God's word, but not everyone's listening to God's word. Let me say that again. Everyone right now hearing my voice is hearing God's truth, but not everyone is listening to God's truth. Because when you listen, you are processing, you are thinking, you are paying careful attention to the truth that is being communicated. And folks, here's what happens. When you listen and you're processing information, here's what starts happening in your life. You start to meditate about that truth throughout the day. In fact, listen to what the Lord told Joshua before he went into the promised land. He told him this. He said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall what? Meditate. meditate. You shall meditate on a day and night. See, part of listening to God's word is that you're paying closer attention, but since it's such heavy truth, you begin to process and meditate that throughout the day. See, it's almost like when you're truly listening, it's almost like the way that a cow eats the grass. Let me tell you what I mean by that. We've all seen, right? whether you're driving or on TV, you, you've seen when a cow just out in the beautiful field starts eating just clumps of grass and they're just walking around and they're just eating and they're just grabbing all these clumps of grass and they're taking it in. Now, what you may not realize is that all this grass is not being quickly digested. In fact, it actually goes to a place in the stomach called the rumen. 
And the rumen is a 55-gallon-sized tank inside of their stomach. Yeah, they're just storing all the stuff that they're bringing in. And then you notice they go out and they lay down by the field. And you start thinking, wow, they begin to chew. And folks, here's what's happening. From the rumen, they are unswallowing food, chewing it some more, swallowing it again, unswallowing it again, chewing it some more, bring it back, and they do this process until finally they process all this food enough, then then they can take it in. And folks, what an image of what should happen when we listen to God's word, doesn't it? Because it's not about coming to church and just hearing a pastor preach. No, it meant for you to, when you come to church, when you read God's word throughout the week, that you listen, and then throughout the day, you start thinking about things. You start meditating on truth. You start thinking, how is that applying to my life? And so once we listen, once we meditate, listen to what should happen next. Write this down as letter B. Then we begin to obey Jesus. Begin to obey. In fact, listen to how the passage from Joshua continues. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be, what? Careful to do according to all that is written in it. In other words, the reason that we listen to God's word is so that at some point we would be careful to obey God's truth. And unfortunately, what happens oftentimes is that people may sit at church, may listen to God's word, but that they fail to obey it. So what happens? They end up self-deceiving themselves. In fact, listen to what James says. He says, do not merely listen to the word. Don't just merely listen and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do it What it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You know how odd it is for someone to to, to go to the mirror, stare themselves in the mirror, and then they just walk away and they forget who they are? How odd is that? Same thing. When you listen to God's word, but you don't obey God's word, it's, it's as odd as you looking to the mirror and forgetting who You are. And folks, here's what I think. So many people listen to God's word, but then don't end up up obeying it. And follow me on this. It's because somewhere along the way, they have replaced obedience with conviction. Let me say that again. For many people, they've replaced obedience with conviction. And you know how it is. You know, I've heard so many people coming out of church, another church, this church, whatever. And here's what I've seen oftentimes. Oh, man. Man, that was a powerful word. Oh, man. But the pastor said that, man, that really hit me. Man, that was powerful. And you know what they're saying? Is that when they were listening to God's word, they were feeling convicted. But you know what happens? Sometimes those people who walk out of church say, oh, that was a powerful word. They go on living life and never obey. Because somewhere along the line, 
they thought that the whole point was just for them to feel convicted. But they never took the step to obey. And so family, listen, as we listen to God's word, as we meditate on God's word, it cannot stop in conviction. The conviction that comes from the spirit of God is meant to lead us to repentance. Amen, family? And so folks, let's not just be listeners, hearers of God's word. Let's be doers of God's word. And so let me end with this. You know, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Folks, I think we all want to experience this good life that Jesus offers us. But it starts with obedience. In fact, listen to what God's word says in James. It says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, in other words, continues to obey God's word, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You know, the word there for blessed in the original text is the word makarios, which simply means happy. And so the word, the word here is saying, listen, that if for those of us who listen to God's word, who obey God's word, and we continue to obey God's word, here's what happens. You finally are able to experience the blessed life. You're able to experience the happy life. You're able to experience the abundant life. But church family, it all starts with obedience. Because sometimes, listen, we can be hypocritical where we want to experience the good life that God has for us in an area in our life, but we don't obey the Lord. We expect a good life, but we don't want to obey. So listen, if you want to truly experience the life that God has for you, it all starts with obedience. The first sermon of the series, it's all about obedience. You listen and you obey. So the question that I have for you today is this. What is an area in your life that you're listening, but you're not obeying? Is it in your marriage life? Stuff with your children? Is it with your finances? Is it with your romantic, your sexual life? Is it with stuff at work? Listen, you know what area that is. Folks, you cannot experience God's good life for you if you don't obey the Lord in that area. And you will see that the moment you take steps, you will see God start to show you what the good life is. So fathers, I want to challenge you today. It's Father's Day week. Listen, if you want to be the man of God that God's calling you to be, if you want to be the father that God is calling you to be, listen, begin to obey the Lord. And he will provide the wisdom. He will provide the strength. He will show you the way. But listen, you want to be a man of God? You need to first start obeying the Lord. And everything else will fall into place. Amen? And who knows, maybe you're here today and the reality is that, you know, we're starting this series, Living a Good Life. And you see people around and they're smiling and they have this, this, all this joy. And the reality is that you don't have that. In fact, you don't even have a relationship with God, and you're wondering, Omar, how can I put my, how can I start this relationship with God? How can I, how can I get right with God? 
Is it by coming to church, doing good things? No, listen. One of the most famous passages in Scripture says this. For God so loved the world, for God so loved you, that he gave you, he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, abundant life, ever the good life. See, there has to be a point in your life when you put your trust and your faith in the Lord. That his, you trust him, you, you, you put your faith in his life, death, and resurrection. The Bible says that the moment you take that step and you, you give your life to Christ, you put your trust in him, he forgives you of all of your sins, all of your sinful things, shameful things, forgiven. He then adopts you as a son and daughter. You start a relationship with God. And now he shows you how to live the good life. But you've got to come to a point of surrender and to putting your faith and your trust in the Lord. The question is, will you do so today as far as for prayer? Father, we are just so grateful as we start this series that you are a God who offers us a good life. But Father, give us the grace and the ability not only to listen to what you tell us, but Father, obey you. For those over here who are here who, who want to take that step of faith, who want to start this journey with Christ, I want to lead you through a prayer, and it's a simple prayer. It's just me helping you talk to God, nothing particular about it. It's just me helping you. But when you pray, listen, I want you to pray to the Lord and not to me. A God who loves you and the God who died for you is waiting for you to seek him. And so, Lord, if that's you, just follow along with me and pray this with me. Father, today I realize that this world has nothing to offer me. But Father, you in your hand, you hold the secret to the good life. So Father, today I come before you and I confess my sin. I ask you for forgiveness of all of my sin. And today, oh God, on Father's Day, I put my trust in you, my Heavenly Father. And from this moment on, help me to live a life that honors you, that glorifies you, that obeys your word, oh Lord, so that I can experience the good life you have for me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me on this Father's Day. It's in Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people say, amen. amen. Hey, can we give it up for those of us who pray that prayer at all campuses? Because if that's you, I want to encourage you on your way out. I know it's Father's Day, but stop by the Next Step booth at your campus. We'll be able to just connect with you, give you a Bible, help you start your journey. We'll connect it to one of our pastors. And, or if you're watching online, you can go to cfmiami.org slash connect. And there, fill that form out and one of our pastors will reach out to you. Well, Christ Fellowship, be sure to be back next week for the second week of living the good life. Have a tremendous Father's Day. God bless you. I love you all.